Merkel Media. This was all circulating around the base that a giant had been killed, but no one was supposed to talk about it. I saw three long bony fingers reach up underneath the door, curl up to grab it, and then disappear. When he came over to me, dude, he slithered over to me. And this giant comes out of the cave and they're all frozen. And he starts running and firing at this giant. Well, the giant moves, he's got a spear in one hand and he's running really fast and spears Dan and holds him up like this. Somebody else, shoot him in the face, shoot him in the face. They basically decapitate him. Got closer, got closer, got closer. When he got about 15 yards away from me, I raised that 12 gauge and I blowed his head off. I feel something pulling at my leg. And I look over and there are two small gray entities pulling at me. And they're literally, I'm getting pulled off the bed. I reached my hand into this bush and I touch air. Couldn't breathe and I couldn't move because I know I'm seeing a monster. Yep. yep. the show everybody you're listening to the confessionals podcast i'm your host tony merkel thanks for being here if you have a crazy wild experience you want to share with me on the show go ahead and shoot me an email my email address is contact at the confessionals podcast.com that's contact at the confessionals podcast.com or go to the website the confessionals podcast.com hit the contact section and you can reach me that way as well Either way works for me, just get a hold of me. If you enjoy the show and you want more episodes, every Thursday we drop a bonus show to members only. Members to the website, you will get access to the membership app. You'll get the Tuesday shows ad-free. You'll get the Thursday shows, of course, and you'll get overtime segments when they're available. Lots of good, good content for members. So if you want to be a member and get that extra stuff, go to theconfessionalspodcast.com, hit the join button and become a member today. Also, friends, I announced last week we have The Shape of Shadows available on demand streaming only on Merkle.media. If you have not seen our second documentary that we released through Merkle Media, you want to go to Merkle.media, hit the stream now button and start watching The Shape of Shadows today. Me and my team went out to Utah to a property called Space Wolf Research, which borders Skinwalker Ranch. And we spent an entire week out there investigating the legend and lore of that land. And we uncovered a lot of wild things. Every night, every day, we had something happen to us. It was all documented, and you're going to enjoy it right there on Merkle.media. Go ahead and check it out today. Now, today we have Tim Alberino on the show. Now, Tim Alberino is somebody that I've known about since before I was podcasting. He is somebody I've always wanted on the show, and we finally arranged our schedules to come together. We've been texting for about a year to do this, and we're finally getting around to doing it. This was a fantastic conversation. He is the author of Birthright, and he goes deep on the idea of the post-human apocalypse and we're going to get into it right now. All right, today we have Timothy Alberino. Sir, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Man, I'm glad you're here. So, uh, listen, I got to tell you, years ago, I mean, we're talking probably seven, eight years ago now, uh, I was driving my tractor trailer in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm listening to Timothy Alberino on YouTube. And I had just started a podcast and I was like, you know, man, I, I got, I got to get this guy on my show one of these days. And here we are seven years later, it's finally freaking happening. So here we are. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Uh, you years ago when I first found you, uh, you know, you were talking about, I remember the first thing I, I ever heard you talk about was living in Peru and kind of like your journey of taking you there and how you got there and all that stuff. And, you know, some of that stuff is probably old news at this point for you to to regurgitate and talk about. Uh, you've since come out with, um, well, the, the, the re most recent book that you have, uh, Birthright, uh, we have at the house and we've been going through it. 
And uh, if you if you could just let people know about Birthright, why you wrote it, what it's about, and uh, you know where they can get it. Okay, uh, Birthrights. It's always a little bit difficult to give a synopsis of the book because I cover a lot of territory. I I cover everything from the inception of mankind. Actually, I start in a pre-Adamic context, a galactic battle that I think predated the existence of mankind. Then going through the the, the purpose of the human species. Uh, all the way up through the Genesis 6 affair and talking about secret societies, uh, the um, the resurrection of the Atlantean world order, uh, a new religion. Um, I talk about aliens and UFOs. I talk about transhumanism. And I can't, I kind of cap things off with with my view of the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, so it's it's really uh, a compendium of of various themes that I weave together or attempt to weave together in this book. So um, it's not about one specific thing. I guess if there's a a through line in the book, it would be the gospel of Christ and the purpose of of the human species, uh, weaving through all those different topics. Yeah, it can be a very complex topic uh, to go through when you start going down some of these these rabbit holes, uh, people that want to look into the book and stuff, uh, they can get on Amazon. Do you have a specific way you'd like people buying the book though? Uh, no, they can get on Amazon, uh, walmart.com, barnesandnoble.com, all the major book vendors. Uh, you won't find it in the store in any of those brick and mortar stores, but you'll find it being sold online. I don't even know where exactly it's being sold, but it's certainly being sold on Amazon. Okay, gotcha. Uh, well, people can check it out and stuff. We have it, and I know a lot of people have been buying it, and it's a it's an awesome book. So uh, check it out. Now, um, you you dive into the topic of aliens. You dive in the topic of transhumanism. I mean, really, over the years, I've heard you talk about pretty much anything, uh, and and you can just kind of rap about it. Um, let's let's kind of maybe talk about the idea of transhumanism, and maybe that even transitions into. Um, alien conversation, which there's a lot of that going on in present day. Um, how dangerous do you view the reality of transhumanism when it comes to mankind in the present? Uh, we, we, we live in a time where people see things, but they don't really understand how close to the reality of things coming to be it is. And I would like for you to kind of maybe share your opinion on that. Well, the real danger is the fact that we are heading toward a post-human apocalypse on planet Earth. Transhumanism is an amalgamation of two terms. Uh, it's, it's transitional in its connotation, transition and human. In other words, transitioning out of humanity is really what transhumanism means, becoming something other than a human being on on on. One side of transhumanism, you have the human species. On the other side of transhumanism, you have the post-human species. And that's where we're headed. And I believe that there are some very particular consequences, ramifications associated with losing our humanity. I think that the, the, fundamental, the fundamental questions that we need to be asking ourselves that we need to be asking today in this generation. And, the, and these are questions that are unique to our generation. No, no other generation has had to contemplate these questions, but we do. Uh, what does it mean to be a human being? That's the first question. And the second question is, is our humanity worth preserving? Again, those are two questions that no other generation has had to contemplate. Um, and uh, those are actually the two questions that I, that I, attempt to answer in my book and it is the the real danger of transhumanism is is enveloped in the the let's say the the purpose of mankind and the the function of mankind on planet earth and we have to contemplate what happens when the human species loses those genetic trademarks that make us the offspring of Adam. 
um, because I believe that my book is called Birthright. I believe that the birthright of mankind is dominion of planet Earth, that we were created to be vice regents of the king. We were supposed to rule this planet according to the precepts, the model of the kingdom of heaven. Of course, we've failed miserably. Um, and that this dominion that we've been given, it's been bequeathed to the human species, that it is inherited. It's not merited. Dominion of the earth, authority on planet earth is not merited. It's not merited by the righteous. It's not merited by the wise. It is rather inherited by the offspring of Adam. It's inherited through our genome. So good, bad, or indifferent, we retain dominion of the earth as long as we remain human. And so what happens when the offspring of Adam lose dominion of the earth because they forfeit those trademarks that make us human? Uh, that's that's a, a very serious question to ponder. And, and I believe that the, the gravity and consequence of losing dominion on planet earth is precisely precisely um, what we see unfolding in the book of Revelation, when all hell literally breaks loose on earth. And the hybrid son, who I believe will be the hybrid son of the dragon, Apollo, the Antichrist, rules on earth. Uh, and, and we'll see a tyranny, a technocratic tyranny, the likes of which the earth has never seen before. And that's where we're headed. And transhumanism is one of the vehicles that's getting us there. So I think that transhumanism, is, it's a Faustian bargain. And uh, in, indeed, the, the term Faustian bargain comes from, the, from, comes from the, the play, the German play Faust. And Faust was this, scient this scientist who was, you know, he was, he was a very erudite scientist and he desired to he wanted to be able to enjoy all of the pleasures of life and he wanted to have great intelligence and wealth and and, and all of that and so the story goes he made he struck a deal he struck a bargain with the devil and that's why it's called a faustian bargain he struck a bargain with the devil I'm trying to remember exactly the name of the demon that that in in the play von Gerth um in 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 that play there's uh Mephistopheles the demon is called Mephistopheles and so this this demon the devil Mephistopheles appears and he and he strikes a bargain with Faust he would give him all of his heart's desires but but the consequence consequence would be that one day Mephistopheles would return to claim his soul. And, uh, and, and again, this is a famous German play, very ancient play. And so Faust strikes the bargain, and he, he, he's given extreme intelligence and wealth and, and, and fully enjoys all of the pleasures of life. And, and then, of course, uh, one day, Mephistopheles returns, and Faust has to give up his soul and is basically dragged to hell and that's what that's what the term faustian bargain means and it's it's quite relevant to to transhumanism because in this gets this gets it gets very complicated and very deep but um the concept of the post-human is is very much um synchronized with the concept of the Ubermensch, the Overman. And the Ubermensch comes from uh, Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy. And the, the Ubermensch is the, the Overman or the Superman. He is the evolutionary, um, he's the, he's the evolutionary peak of mankind. See, Nietzsche, Nietzsche subscribed to the theory of evolution, but he did not he did not like Darwin's mechanism of natural selection. He believed that evolution had a purpose. Natural selection doesn't have a purpose. It's blind. There is no purpose to natural selection. Uh, but, but Nietzsche couldn't 
couldn't accept that. He, he believed that evolution had a purpose and that the purpose of evolution was what he called uh, the ubermensch, the overman, to bring forth the overman in the earth, this superhuman being. And that the force of evolution wasn't this blind natural selection. Rather, the force of evolution was what he called the will to power. And so evolution was being driven by the will to power. And again, that the ultimate goal of evolution was to bring forth the ubermensch, the overman on planet Earth. And the reason why I am discussing Nietzsche and, and the overman, the ubermensch, is because in the story of of Faust, uh, the thing that Faust wanted specifically, the thing he really wanted, and, and what he made a bargain with Mephistopheles to attain, was he wanted to become an ubermensch, an overman, a superman. And that is precisely what he was given by Mephistopheles, by this satanic figure. And so I think that the story of Faust is is really is really very very uh, apropos to the situation that we find ourselves in today in regard to transhumanism. We are desiring life extension. We're desiring the eradication of of of, of every human weakness, genetic and otherwise. We want to run faster, jump higher. We want to be stronger. We want to live longer. And we are now slowly compiling the technological tools to achieve these things. See, we, we live in the age, we live in the hybrid age, what, techno, what technologists and futurists call the hybrid age. And the reason why they call this the hybrid age is because you have all of these variegated tech, technologies that have been developing simultaneously, such as what are commonly called the grin technologies, genetics, artificial intelligence, um, robotics and nanotechnology, among others, but those are those are four prominent streams. They've been being developed ind- independently in the past, but but now those streams are coming together. Those independent technologies are being combined together, and the result is going to be well. One of the results is going to be a super uh, uh, an artelect, uh, um a super uh, super artificial intelligence. Um, but the other result is going to be a superhuman, an ubermensch, because we're going to use these technologies to fundamentally modify, alter the human species. And there's no stopping it. It will happen. And that's the Faustian bargain, you see, because in the process of upgrading our biology, of plugging our consciousness into the internet, for example, plugging our minds into the internet so that within 10, 15 years, uh, many people will be surfing the net with their brains. That's a given. It's going to happen. That's Neuralink and other technologies that are developing concurrent with Neuralink. Human beings will be navigating the information highway with their brains rather than their fingers, as we do now, and, and touchscreens. So um, we're going to be we're going to be upgrading our biology. We're going to be we're going to be uploading our collective consciousness online by interfacing directly with the internet through our brains, and we're going to be altering the genetic composition of the human species. And in doing all of this, we're going to be becoming the Ubermensch, the Overman. And in doing all of this, what we're going to lose as a result is our humanity. We're going to lose the genetic trademarks and the, and the, the, the emotional uh, and physical components of our humanity that make us human, that make us fundamentally the offspring of Adam. And that's the Faustian bargain. And we've already accepted it. We're going headlong into a, a post-human apocalypse, and that's why I call it an apocalypse, because it's going to lead to chaos on planet earth and it's and ultimately to armageddon in which mankind or rather 
post-humanity is going to be led into open kinetic war with the king of heaven. That's where this thing is going. And, and Armageddon is not a war with Israel. Armageddon is a war with the returning Christ, with the king of heaven returning to the earth to recover the birthright of mankind because he is a man. And so, uh, and, and, and this is very complex and I elaborate and, uh, on, on all of these points in my book. And, and this is going to dovetail, by the way, this transformation from human to post-human is going to dovetail with what I call the alien threat and the revealing of Apollo and his consort, who, who I call the golden race, because I believe that at some point in time, uh, we are going to be led in the final steps of our transformation, of our evolution out of Adam and into a post-human condition. We're going to be led by these hybrid entities who show up on the scene. Who are going to be? Who are going to be? Who are going to pose as the friends of mankind? Indeed, as the Messiah returning to the earth, and he will be a counterfeit Messiah, Apollo, the son of the dragon. And I think that this is clear in, in Revelation. And so, all of these issues that we're seeing begin to maturate: transhumanism, artificial intelligence. Uh, UFOs and the alien, the revealing of, or rather, disclosure of UFOs and the alien presence, all of these things are dovetailing, are coming together. And we're going somewhere. This is not random. We are going somewhere. And, and we're going precisely where the oracles of the Bible have predicted that we're going. We're, we are headed towards open kinetic war with the King of Heaven. And really, what binds transhumanism and the, let's say, the alien presence, the UFO stuff, what binds these two topics together is a new religion that's going to emerge in the earth. And I call this new religion apotheotheism. I, I coined this term because I couldn't find one that sufficed. Uh, and it is an amalgamation of two words, apotheosis, which is the glorification or deification of mankind, and theism, which is a belief in the gods. And when you combine these two terms together, you get apotheotheism. And what apotheotheism represents is the declaration, it can be summed up in the declaration of mankind, the gods exist, an affirmation that the gods exist, and we intend to become like them. Apotheotheism. That's the religion of the future. That's where this whole thing is going. And, and the result of apotheotheism and the technologies and the revelation of the alien presence, both the, 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 the bad guys, probably the greys, and the, and the so-called good guys, the ones that probably are going to show up to deliver us from the greys, the guys that the Vatican, the ETs that the Vatican are, is preparing to receive as our extraterrestrial saviors or our extraterrestrial brothers, the, the ones that we look like. Uh, they're, these guys, these entities, are going to lead us into open war with, with the returning Christ, who will be cast as the enemy of mankind. Now, as fantastical as all of that may seem, I predicted this in, 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 in my book as I was writing it in 2018 and 2019 and then published it in 2020, or rather writing it in 2019 and then published it in 2020. All of these things have accelerated since then. And, and we can see how all of these topics are beginning to dovetail, are beginning to mesh together. And the result, the, and the result aside from the, the, the end game, which is Armageddon, is going to be the emergence of a new golden age on planet Earth in which the gods walk openly among mankind as they did in the world before the flood of Noah. Wow. All right. So let me ask you this. This is like a question. This is such a basic question too. But I, when you were talking, I'm, I'm familiar with, I met you at the conference. I know you're a family man talking about this stuff and thinking for you, this is like, cause I know you're highly sought after, uh, for interviews. I, I my friend Frank over at quite frankly, you were on there recently and, uh, 
I, I watched that right away. You knocked it out of the park. But I, I was thinking about it then, and I'm thinking about it now as you're talking. Um, how, th this, this stuff that you're thinking about and talking about, and I, and I kind of go through the same thing, but I'm interested to hear how you deal with this on a practical level when it comes to raising a family uh, and educating them. Because um, I'm, I'm a strong believer that, that God has given me dominion over my family. And if I retreat from that and I don't practice my dominion over my family, that vacuum will be, uh, it, it's, a, it's a vacuum and something will fill that void. And obviously we're talking about good and evil. And so when, when we're dealing with this stuff, for me in my house, and I got a five-year-old and three-year-old, so like they're very young, but my five-year-old, highly intelligent, he asked me questions and I have taken the route of talking very honest with him. I don't do baby talk with him. I, I answer his questions to, to the best of my knowledge. Um, and he's gotten used to it and has really kind of um, accelerated his understanding with things. And with you and your studies and your research and all this stuff, has is this something that maybe you, it kind of I don't know if it, it feels at times it can be dark, but I know at the same time that as Christians like we we win in the end. So like, how do you how do you approach this stuff on on a daily basis? You know. Well, I think in regard to how you raise your children, it is it is imperative that we teach our children that we we instruct them in the answer to the two questions posed previously. What does it mean to be a human being? And is our humanity worth preserving? Well, what it means to be a human being is answered within the biblical paradigm. And, and once you understand that, the question of is our humanity worth preserving becomes apparent. Yes, at all costs, it is worth preserving. And again, Past generations did not have to contemplate these questions, but we do, and more so than us, our children and our grandchildren, because we're seeing the beginning, we're seeing the birth pangs of post-humanity, of humanity 2.0, but they're going to live it. They're going to actually see people transforming, consciously evolving out of the human condition. And they're going to be faced with a world in which if you don't have, if your brain is not directly interfacing with the internet, if you don't have the genetic upgrades, if you're not incorporating some of the other cyber, cybernetic technologies into your biology, then you simply will not be able to compete, compete with the rest of society. You will not be able to go to college. You will not be able to get any kind of a, a of a job that involves industry or business because you won't be able to interface with the system and and this of course sounds eerily similar to those who don't receive the mark of the beast are going to be marginalized from society so um this is the this is the future and we need to instill in our children the the importance of preserving their humanity so that they can instill into their children the importance of preserving their humanity. Because I believe that it is my grandchildren who are, who are going to be really living in this reality. Uh, I'm seeing the beginning of it. My, I have five sons. My sons are going to see the further development of it, and my grandchildren are going to be living in the post-human age. Uh, and 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 again this is there's no stopping it because it's 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 been predicted thousands of years ago that this would occur um and again if people are interested in seeing how it's been predicted i i would refer you to my book but uh th so this is a focus of mine and uh, you know and and I have to admit, I haven't done the greatest job so far at preparing my children because it's very difficult to, to broach these topics. Um, it, it's, it's difficult to convey the gravity of the situation to young children. And you don't want to frighten your kids with, with this dystopian reality that's coming. Um, but at the same time, you want to prepare them. And so I think that most fundamental, most fundamental in, in terms of preparing your family, 
for what's coming is to make sure that that you and your spouse and your children are firmly grounded in the gospel of Christ because it is the gospel of Christ that will serve serves and will serve as the anchor in the coming storm because it is the gospel of Christ that gives us the most resounding answer to the question is our humanity worth preserving and the answer according to the gospel is unequivocally yes and in fact the gravest of consequences will occur if you do not preserve your humanity in that you will forfeit your you will forfeit the grace of god through the cross of christ because because jesus died he became a man to redeem mankind he died to redeem the offspring of adam he did not die for the angels he did not die for post humanity he died for mankind and if you become something other than mankind then you are no longer a candidate for salvation through the cross of christ and there is nothing graver than that scenario so uh, this is why it grieves me that so many churches in america at least certainly probably all over the west have have divorced themselves to some extent from the gospel of christ and are focusing on all of these other things and yet they have such a they have they have such a paltry understanding of the gospel and certainly are not addressing the questions previously mentioned from the biblical perspective with the urgency that i think is required in this day and age in other words it is a deep understanding of the gospel that will anchor us and direct us through the storm that's coming and so it needs to be reinforced in from every pulpit in the west especially and it's and, and the opposite is happening the gospel is becoming watered down and lost the meaning of the gospel the story of the gospel which is the greatest story ever told uh, is being lost in pageantry and superfici- superficiality perfunctory issues and topics that have no bearing on what is coming. Man. I I 100% agree with you on these things. Um I I I actually had to scale back how much I railed against what's going on in a sense because and I didn't have to scale back but I just I kind of readjusted the way I think on certain things because uh, I was going so hard on Western church, and that's what I can speak to. I'm, I've, uh, I'm in, in the United States, right? But um, somebody brought up to me uh, about a year ago. I was I was railing about it uh, to them, and where it's kind of gone. And uh, they said, just simply to me, in a very innocent way, they said, um, oh, "I agree with you, uh, but I did get saved in one of those churches," and I was just like. Okay, you know I don't agree with a lot of the things that are going on in these churches, uh, but to for me because I was um, I was pretty much telling people don't even touch them, just stay away from them. And it's like, well, if that's your only option, uh, okay, you know. Um, but uh, so let me ask you about this whole transhumanism thing, though, um, because Jesus Christ came and died for mankind. Uh, and this is something that I think is elementary, but is it really, is it really, a, is this a, a game plan played out by Satan over a long period of time to get to this point? Or is this something that, that was, that, that's, that's happened out of randomness through advancement of technology and human, human desire to be their own gods. And I would say that that is probably both the same, that that desire has been implanted by Satan himself. Um, but like we see, we see in the hist- throughout history 
like at the, way back at the beginning of 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 uh, I think it was the the Catholic Church. I don't remember, uh, but there was a strategic removal of this idea of the supernatural from the scriptures, and I, I feel like that was one thing that kind of put us in a, on this path of not acknowledging God, not 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 acknowledging Satan even exists, and so. Uh, is this like kind of like the next step with the transhumanism where it's like um, phase two to basically take humans and disqualify them from, from being human? Well, what was the original temptation to Eve? If she, if she eats of the fruit of, of the tree of knowledge, she will become like the gods. Apotheotheism. That was the original temptation and that is going to be the last temptation for mankind and just as eve ate of the fruit and suffered the consequences thereafter so too will mankind eat of the fruit and su- and suffer the consequences and in regard to what i believe has been forfeited what i believe has been lost in the Western church to some extent is the story of the gospel has become, as I said, a secondary theme when in fact, I don't think most Christians have truly grasped how magnificent the story of the gospel truly is. And I, I grew up in church. I, I, my father was a pastor. I was a leader in the youth group. I was involved in all of the activities. I grew up in church and I had a very good upbringing. And I had, I would say that I've had a, 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 an intense, let's say, relationship with God ever since I was very small. And, and yet it wasn't until I was 19 years old standing by a, standing on the bank of a tributary to the river Masan deep in the Amazon jungle that I began to truly understand the gospel of Christ because I pondered the question, what does it mean to be a human being? And that question, by the way, what does it mean to be a human being? Really, it it is most relevant to the disclosure of the alien presence. And then the, the second question, is our humanity worth preserving, is most relevant to the unfolding of transhumanism. So those questions when you deal with those two questions you 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 will you will know how to navigate the alien presence and transhumanism because when you understand what it means to be a human being and you understand the unfolding of that story of the narrative the biblical narrative as it pertains to mankind then you realize that you're not the only player in the game and you should come to uh you should develop if you understand the story correctly you should develop what i call a christocentric perspective or rather what's known as a christocentric perspective in that christ becomes the center of the universe he everything is about him everything was created through him and by him and for him not for us not for mankind, not for the angels. Everything was created for him. He is the center. He is the epicenter of the universe. And it's his story, not ours. He is the protagonist, not us. And when you begin to properly place mankind in that story, and we have a very important place in that story, uh, then your paradigm just... It expands exponentially, and you have now you can now comfortably accommodate 
the alien question, when that happens. And I think people who've had that experience know what I'm talking about. You can comfortably accommodate the alien presence and, and navigate your way through um, the, the things that we're seeing in the news routinely now in terms of, of, the, of, of UFOs and so forth. So I don't know how I got on that track, but <laughs> something, something spawned that, uh, that thought in my mind. Happens to me all the time. All the time. <laughs> a lot of times I ask the guests, hey, wh what was I saying? You know, so uh, so based on that, though, um, uh, how'd you say it, it was Christ-centric? Is that what you Christocentric. Christocentric. Um, As opposed to anthropocentric. Anthropocentric. See, the anthropocentric perspective of the universe is the, is the I would say, the common perspective um, that most Christians have. Uh, and it, it, it places man at the center of the universe, that we're the reason why the earth was created. We're the reason why the universe was created. Everything re is revolving around us. We're the hub of the wheel. And, and all the other players in the game, all the other characters in the universe are ancillary characters to our story. We are the primary protagonist. But that is not the biblical view, clearly not the biblical view. The biblical view places Christ at the center. He is the hub of the wheel. We are one of the spokes on the wheel, along with, by the way, our elder siblings, the angels. Right. So th this, this um, what you're talking about, I, I think I, I read this in your book towards the beginning. I think you probably covered in the first couple chapters you were talking about this. And yeah, the, in the elder race, the chapter entitled The Elder Race. Yeah, I, 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 when I was reading it, I um, I remember I put it down and I walked out in the kitchen and I tried relaying to my wife what I just read and I was like, "You're just gonna have to read it yourself," because I was like, "I'm doing an awful job." Uh, we gotta get Tim on the show to talk about it because I don't know, I, I have no idea. Um, but it, I I remember the feeling that I had when I read it, which was it was like a light bulb moment and it it allowed me to just everything kind of fell into place mentally for me and I was. I was just like, ah, got it. Yes. It, it, it just, it, it helps really make sense of everything. That's right. When you put Christ in the center of the universe, everything else falls into place. That is the correct theological starting position. Christ is at the center. Everything was created through him and for him and by him. Or through him and by him and for him. And all things consist in him. So, when you have that as the beginning, as your starting point, and, and mankind is not the, the, the most important thing going on, then it just expands your paradigm. It's, it, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's very, it is a moment in which, uh, as you said, a light bulb goes off in your head because it's like putting in the most crucial piece of a jigsaw puzzle in place. And then suddenly, you start to see how all these other pieces can start to fit together around it. And um, so many people are starting from the wrong position. They're starting from an anthropocentric perspective of the universe. And so they have a hard time dealing with the concept of an extraterrestrial or of a being that predates mankind or of a universe that has more going on in it than just the affairs of mankind. Uh, that is a very, uh, it's a very poor uh, perspective of reality. And you're going to run into all kinds of problems uh, as you broach certain topics, especially the topics revolving around the alien presence. Yeah. I, I feel like we're very quickly approaching a point where, uh, They've been doing it for a while, but just your traditional Christian perspective, uh, they are getting deeper and deeper, putting their head in the sand, saying, it's not possible. It's not possible. It's like, well, hold on, saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. And, and it's just they keep going deeper with the idea. It's just, it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Um, it, it's this, this classic uh, question that I, you know, I pondered years ago when I first started looking at the stuff. Uh, and many people ask me, like, it's funny because you, you, you um, I'm sure you deal with this too, where you're talking with people, say, in your everyday life, and they ask you a question, and you're like, 
do you understand how much energy I have to take just to back up to work you up to where I'm at right now to make this all make sense for you? Uh, and you get that a lot at church and stuff. And it's the classic question. If aliens were to exist, what does that do about, about God? It, 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 Nothing. It, it doesn't affect the gospel of Christ at all. It does no violence to the gospel of Christ whatsoever. And in fact, we already know that because angels exist. And the existence of angels does no does no violence to the gospel of Christ. It does not alter it. And angels are, by, defini- by definition, extraterrestrial beings. They exist, they pre-exist mankind, clearly pre-exist mankind. Their provenance, their origin is not planet Earth. They are therefore extraterrestrial. And and their existence has for centuries not not altered the gospel of Christ. So why should the existence of some other extraterrestrial species alter the gospel of Christ? See, if Christ is in the center, if it's his story, if he is the purpose of the universe, then there could be all kinds of things going on in the universe that have nothing to do with us because it's not about us. What pertains to us is the gospel of Christ, that he became one of us to redeem us. He became a man to redeem mankind. That is unique. Even the angels marveled at that. And the gospel is, rather, the, the writers of the New Testament are explicit that Christ did not give aid to the angels. In other words, he did not die for the angels. He did not, he did not come to redeem the angels, but, but to redeem mankind. And so um, that's the gospel of Christ. And that doesn't change. And people, people will argue. I've even seen intellectuals at the Vatican arguing that, well, if, Christ, if extraterrestrials exist, then obviously Christ would have had to go on and die for them as well. Why? He did not die for the angels. So why should we expect him to die for the aliens or for other factions? It doesn't make any sense. So the argument is to some extent moot. We already know that humanity is unique in this relationship to the Son of God, that he became one of us, that he took upon himself the sin of mankind and nailed it to the cross. That only pertains exclusively to the offspring of Adam. Exclusively. We are the prodigal son. And and so Christ leads us back into the family of God. And and back, not, not just as a servant, but back into sonship in the Father's house. That's part of the mystery and the magnificence of the gospel of Christ that most people have not never really encountered this idea that mankind was created to be a sibling in the royal family that's that was where we were supposed to be see that's the tragedy of the fall the tragedy of the fall of adam is the fact that we were sundered from the family of god sundered from our original purpose because the primary purpose of mankind was fellowship with the father in the family of God. That was the primary purpose. Secondarily, we were created to govern the earth. That's our twofold purpose, fellowship in the family of God and to be vice regents of this realm, a realm in the midst of other realms. So, uh, and we have siblings in this family. That's who the angels are, clearly who the angels are in the scriptures. Um, uh, And of course, we have, just like among human beings, we have those of us who desire to be reconciled to the Father, right? Because that's what the gospel of Christ is. See, we are redeemed. And by the way, the, the word redemption means to be bought back, to be purchased, to be bought back. Who are we being bought back from? Who are, who are we being redeemed from? Well, the parable of the prodigal son tells us who we're being redeemed from. The swine herd. The prodigal son became indentured to the swine herd. The swine herd is, arch- is an archetype of Satan. And so because of sin, we were condemned with the enemies of God. Our lot was with the enemies of God because of sin, because of Adam's sin. 
we're condemned with the swineherd, so we had to be purchased back. That's redemption. But that's not the end of the gospel. We're redeemed so that we might be reconciled. And reconciliation means to be brought back into friendship, because the Bible says, the New Testament teaches us that we are at enmity with God. Why? Because we're condemned with the enemies of God. So we're born into the human condition. The human condition is sin and death. It's enmity with God. But the grace of God, the free gift of God offered through the sacrifice of his son is reconciliation. It's it's having the sin forgiven, being reconciled, brought back into friendship and fellowship in the family of God. So we're redeemed so that we might be reconciled, and reconciliation happens through the cross of Christ and, and, and as well as redemption. So we're redeemed so that we might be reconciled, so that we might be restored to everything that was lost in Adam. Everything that was lost in Adam is regained in the second Adam, in Jesus Christ. And and that happens at the resurrection, by the way, which I believe and contend very strongly is what being born again means. Being born again is the resurrection. So um, this is, by the way, how I teach my children the gospel of Christ. There are three words that if you understand these three words, you can understand the gospel, redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. It's not about not going to hell or going to heaven. That is a it, that is a, a very destitute understanding of the gospel. It's about redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. We're going to be restored as full-fledged sons back into the family of God. When, when all of this is, 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 comes to a completion and, and we are resurrected, we will enter back into the family of God as full-fledged Sons, not just as servants. Remember the story of the prodigal son that that he reasoned as he was as he was rolling around in the mire and eating the slop of pigs because he be- became indentured to the swineherd. He reasoned that even the servants in his father's house are living better than him, even the lowly servants. And so he he concocted this plan. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to tell him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I've I blew, I blew that. that. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to ask to be brought back in as a son. That's done. I blew my inheritance. I'm not worthy to be your son. But please take me back as a servant, as a lowly servant. That was his plan. And so, of course, he makes his way back to his father's house. And what's so amazing about the story of the prodigal son is what is the posture of the father? Is it this mean, angry God who the atheists like to, to say that God is this mean, angry figure in the Bible who's just full of vengeance and wants to smite everyone? No. Jesus shows us the posture of the Father towards mankind. He's not standing there to smite you. The prodigal son is going home, and he's expecting his father to be exceedingly wroth with him, to be angry and to reject him, but instead. He finds his father waiting for him, waiting anxiously for him at the door, looking out, waiting for that son, that prodigal son, to return home. And when he sees the prodigal son approaching, he runs out to meet him, and he embraces him and kisses his neck. And the prodigal son says, Father, he tells him his, his spiel that he's prepared. Father, I've, I'm, I've blown my inheritance. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me back as a servant. And what does the father say? He orders his servants, quick, quick, go. Bring new robes, bring sandals. Clothe him in new clothing. Because sandals, by the way, represent sonship. Because servants in that, in that day and age usually went barefoot. That was a mark of a slave. And he's saying, shod his feet with sandals and put new robes on him. And those new robes represent the righteousness of Christ and the resurrection. And and they put a ring on his finger, which is the seal of the father's house, the royal seal 
of the father's house. And he brought, brings his son back into the house, in, into his house, as a son, not as a servant, as a son. And it's the restoration. Everything that was lost, everything that he had squandered and forfeited was restored to him. And, and it's, again, it's not, about, it's not about going to heaven or evading hell. It's about returning to the original purpose of mankind, going back into the Father's house. And I can think of nothing that is more exhilarating, more exciting than the notion that those of us who remain in Christ, who believe in the gospel of Christ, will be ultimately restored to everything that was lost in Adam. All of the, uh, our, our genome will be, will be restored to the original blueprint. All of the genetic degeneracy that's been accumulated, the, the mutational load that's been accumulated over, over thousands of years, hundreds of generations will be rectified. And all of those, what I believe, all of those original, innate, incredible capabilities inherent in the human species will be restored. And, and, and we will go back into the family. That is the gospel of Christ. That was the mission of Christ. He told his disciples on the eve of his, on the eve of his crucifixion that in my father's house are many rooms. He's evoking the parable of the prodigal son on the eve of his crucifixion. In my father's house are many rooms, and I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then I will come back to you to get you and bring you so that you may be where I am. That's returning the lost sons, the lost sheep back into the fold, back into the family of God. So that is the, 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 the gospel of Christ that I'm referring to, that I believe that story has been lost. And, and has been minimized and has been, to some extent, diminished uh, in the Western church. And, and, and I think that it is the defense against what's coming, against transhumanism. And, and it, it's, it, it prepares you to be able to accommodate the revelations that are coming in regard to extraterrestrial life into your paradigm without losing your faith. And so that's why it's, I'm so passionate about it. And, and I think that it's, it's absolutely imperative that people understand the gospel of Christ. Man. Listen, I told you that we were shooting for 60 minutes. We're at 54 minutes and 13 seconds. And I don't think I want to try filling the next five minutes with a question after that, because I think what you just did uh, is going to leave people really thinking about the topic, not just of aliens and transhumanism, but our role, our, our literal role within the existence of humanity and our proper perspective on that. I, I'm telling you, man, I think what you just did is open up some eyes for people. And I, I really hope, listen, if anybody's listening right now, and what he just said to you resonated on such a deep level. You got questions. I, Tim, I'm sure they can reach out to you, but please feel free to reach out to us as well and let us know that this impacted you because it impacted me just hearing him say it. So Tim, before, before we wrap things up and stuff, go ahead and share whatever you want to share. Well, I would add that it's interesting in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that the prodigal son was the younger son. He was the younger son. There was an older son, an elder brother, who did not squander his inheritance. And of course, as, as is the case in many of the parables and prophecies in the Bible, there are layers to the meanings of these parables and prophecies. And on the surface layer, certainly it could pertain also to, the, to Judah, Israel and Judah, and the reuniting of Israel and so forth. I wouldn't deny that. But on the deeper level, the deeper level, it's about Adam. And, and, and by extension, it's about us. Because ultimately, Israel, the, the, the gospel of Christ isn't about the restoration of Israel. The gospel of Christ is about the restoration of the offspring of Adam. 
into the family of God. That's what the gospel's about. And and so it's it's when you when you recognize that we have an older sibling, we have siblings in the family of God, and we're the younger brother, then that just that that understanding alone begins to open up some realities for people. And that we are very special because Jesus left the 99 to come and find the one lost sheep, us. He has other sheep in his fold. So I, I absolutely affirm the gospel of Christ. I reject the notion, by the way, that humanity is going to be baptized by morally superior aliens in the future. There is one baptism, and it is the baptism of Christ, period. And we don't need aliens to be baptizing us into the baptism of Christ. So I totally reject the narrative that's being crafted over at the Vatican, for those who are wondering. Um, and I don't want anyone to confuse what I've said with, with, with that. I don't believe that there's any salvation whatsoever coming from our older siblings, who I call the elder race. There is salvation in Christ alone through the work of the cross, period, and believing in him. Uh, so make no mistake, I subscribe to the gospel of Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Timothy Alberino, author of Birthright. You can find it on Amazon and pretty much any other store. This book is jam-packed with information, and everything that he's saying today is just a fraction of what is covered in that book. If you feel like you were enlightened today by this conversation, this book will blow your mind. You need to go check it out. Once again, it's Birthright, and you can find it on Amazon and other places. Tim, uh, I had, I mean, listen, I I could have talked to you about the idea of old earth. Was there an earth that existed before this earth? The idea of other realms, what's coming through, are aliens coming through other realms, all this stuff. And what you did today, I think is far more impactful than trying to dive into all these things individually. Because I think what you did today is cover a very uh, specific but broad perspective on all that stuff tied together. Well, we've laid the foundation to discuss a multiplicity of realms. Because once you understand who the human species is and what we were created to do, you can accommodate that topic. Right on. So we'll have to come back and do another and continue our discussion. Well, that's the show, everybody. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, please share the show with your friends. I don't care where or how you share the show. Just share the show if you enjoyed it. That's literally the best thing you can do to help this show grow is to share it around the interwebs of the world. Also, just a reminder, The Shape of Shadows is available for on-demand streaming only on Merkle.media. Go ahead and check it out if you're interested because that was a fun film to make and I really just want to share it with the world. So go ahead, check it out. Merkle.media. Hit the stream now button and get your The Shape of Shadows on. All right, friends, until next week, I love you. Stay safe, take care, and remember, the truth will set you free, but first, it'll piss you off. Bye. Things look a little different when I look at the heavens Glow from the brush strokes leave a different impression Behind the holy water all I'm seeing is devils Used to stop at the sixes, now I push to the sevens This is my confession, whoa, whoa, whoa The lights around me beckon, yeah, yeah, yeah Lost in my reflection, no, no, no I ain't trying to go away, y'all if I'm caught up in the lights on the mesa They're so bright Makes me think about life In the desert that's swallowing me whole I'm just trying to cruise on a trail But I know that my scream Is written in a way That will make it easy for me, I know When people look at me, they look for something they can define I just never knew a box I couldn't decline I never thought of being one of a kind I just spent my time elevating my mind This is my confession, whoa, whoa, whoa The lights around me beckon, yeah, yeah, yeah Lost in my reflection, no, no, no 
ain't trying to go away oh. I don't know if I'm caught up in the lights on the Mesa They're so bright Makes me think about life In the desert that's swallowing me whole I'm just trying to cruise on a trip But I know that my Trying to cruise on a trail